I'm Josh, and my mission is simple. I teach tens of thousands of home service business owners like you how to grow a profitable seven-figure business. Every week, I deliver mind bombs and systems designed to help you gain mastery over marketing, admin, production, and sales inside your company. Each week, I'll open up the vault so you can finally take hold of the life and business you deserve. There is only one thing between where you are today and where you want to be, and that is the growth you're willing to endure. You're in the right place. Welcome to The Growth Vault. Hey, my friends. Welcome back to The Growth Vault Podcast. Hope you're doing amazing. I have a special treat for you today. Uh, I have a stuffy nose. That's not the special treat for you. Uh, but I've I pulled myself up by the bootstraps and arranged an interview with an incredible man named Tim Sullivan. He's going to be joining us, sharing his story that I think a huge amount of you can relate with. Tim has been uh, in business for himself for about 17 years. He had a couple different companies. His current company is TKS Services or Exterior Cleaning Company. Uh, he's had that one for four years, but the big shift that happened that I'm excited for Tim to share with you all is really just the quintessential story of going from owner operator to building a big automated, fully scaled out business. And he was an owner operator for all 17 years of his self-employment career up until really the last two years and something switched. And we're going to talk to Tim about that. His business was doing less than 200,000 a year in revenue. And then boom, boom, in two seasons, he's just under a million. Uh, so let's talk to Tim and see what changed. Tim, are you there, my friend? Yep, I am here. Thank, Thank you, Josh. you for joining me, even though I have a stuffy nose and I can't breathe very good. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. it. So tell us a little bit about, I know you're a family guy. You've been married. Yep. You have, your wife is way cooler than you are, just like my yes. wife is way cooler than I am. Yep. Um, give us a, a brief overview on kind of your backstory and what you got going on. So I've, you know, like you said, I've, I've owned basically two businesses. I was in flooring installation for uh, years and years and years until the, the housing market crashed in 2008, 2009. Um, I proceeded to really I had my oldest son was born in 2004, and then my wife and I ended up going through a divorce. Um, plus, I basically lost my business. Business um, played big, filed bankruptcy. You know, we lost. I mean, pretty much everything. You know, down to literally nothing. So I went through a divorce. Had my son full time custody of him, and uh, I went to work for another company. Just uh, one of my friends' parents owned a window cleaning power washing company. I'm like, what can you pay me to wash windows? So I went there, and I. I basically started from the ground up, worked there for roughly six years, um, six, seven years, and uh, helped grow that business, did a lot of cool stuff with them. They're awesome. Um, then in 2017, my wife and I had an opportunity to buy a house a little bit farther away from where we were located, and uh, we decided to move. And I was like, I'm going to start a business, and I just want to work by myself. I'm done with employees. I'm done dealing with other people. I just want to customer-centric, just work by myself and deal with everything. So did you just I want the freedom? Did, Is that, you just didn't yes. want a boss. You just wanted no one. And I just, over your shoulder I, I wanted to do something myself again and not have anybody do that. But I also didn't want anybody because I had other people underneath me at the previous company they had. I was a manager of a couple of different divisions and you know how the, the story is. You can't find the right people. It always sucks. You know, everybody sucks. People are just horrible <laughs> to work with. You can't find anybody to work. You know, it's out there everywhere. Those dang millennials. Um, Yes, exactly. And I was just done with it, done with it all. So I decided to go, I'm going to start my own business again. And it went well. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it can be easier doing things by yourself. You know, you, 
yeah. you're only one to answer to. Um, you can go out work as much as you want or as little as you want, you know, whatever you're, 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 but you are limited to how much you can do unless you just keep raising your prices till you can't do any more work, but that's also good in some respects too. But, uh, so during the first couple of years, I was still doing flooring on the weekends and the winter months and stuff like that. And then a couple of big jobs that helped me actually cash flow the start of my business. So I did this big flooring job and I was actually, so my son would have been 11, I think at the time, and he was helping me, he would carry stuff in and, and I actually would tap stuff with my hand and I, I like hit something with my hand, pain shot up through my elbow into my shoulder and thought I broke my arm. And the first thought that I had at that point in time was I'm done. There's no income for me. I mean, my wife is a nurse. We still have an income. We can survive. But I'm like, if I can't work, there is nothing. I am producing nothing on this side of the business. And that was kind of my little aha epiphany moment that I can't do it alone. So, wow. Well, Brandon calls that a bus factor, right? Yes. Yep. You know, you make a good point, though, that being an owner operator, uh, there's a, it's great. I mean, it's way better than having a job. Like being self-employed is still preferable to being an employee in my opinion. Uh, and there's benefits. That's why I always tell people stay small or go big. Just don't go in the middle. Right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the middle is kind of the most painful part, but, but yeah, you had a bus factor of one, meaning yep. if you got hit by a bus, now there's no more money for your family. And right. that's really scary. So, so when did you, I mean, Cause when you, so when you ended up uh, starting TKS, your current business yes. four years yes. ago, yes. did you go into it kind of from the beginning thinking I'm going to, I'm going to build a real company uh, or, or was that after the first year? No. What was the exact time frame? After the, well, it was about a year and a half probably into it is when I decided I was going to build a big company. The first year was, it was actually awesome. I mean, we did really, I mean, for an owner operator, we did really well. I boots on the ground. We do door hangers. We throw a ton of door hangers out into the world and, and I just started that before we even moved. I just would go out and door hanger and I loved it, had a good time doing it. And then, like I said, when I had that happen, it was actually no injury to my hand. It just kind of hit a, a nerve or something, but it was just, uh, scared. Yeah, I was just, it just, yeah, it scared the heck out of me. So yeah, it was just then about a year and a half into it. I decided that was during the, I think it was in December of 2018. I believe. Yeah. If I'm right, I think it's 2000, December of 2018. Um, when that had kind of the epiphany of that. And uh, I said, I'm going to hire my own, another person. So actually that winter is when I started my hiring process of hiring people. And was that right around the time uh, with AGSX? Yes. Yes. That was right around. We went to AGSX. Yep. Yep. Okay. It was shortly after that. So Cause I mean, I've seen, and the reason I asked you to come on here is you've achieved an extraordinary result in a short period of time, but your story I think is so relatable because it, 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 it takes a whole shift in mindset or maybe a big epiphany or a, a health scare or something for people sometimes to say, you know what, screw it. I'm going to do this for real now. I'm going to implement a system. So, uh, you know, I've been working with you closely for a couple of years, but kind of tell us in the last couple of years, some of the mindset shifts you had to make to go from, you know, less than 200 grand, which is your typical kind of owner operator business to almost a million dollars during the COVID year. And you're going to go well, well past that this year what did you do different? What was the big shift? My big, in my mind, it was trusting other people to do the work and actually encouraging them to make mistakes and do things that I can't just force everybody to do. Um, I've read a lot of leadership books and obviously following you and having you as a coach and Brandon and everything from the Conquer program and AGS 
and all that different stuff, things, you know, it helps you shift your mindset to different things, seeing other people do it and everything. But yeah, having the the mindset of hiring people, knowing that I'm going to make mistakes, knowing that they're going to make mistakes. And this year was a huge year on sharing myself instead of always being scared of, like I tell my team now my goals as well. And I want them to tell me their goals. And I want to make sure that we're all in line with our goals together, that we can work together. It's not just them against the boss and the boss against the employees. The employees suck, you know, all this different things. Yeah, my employees aren't perfect. And but they're they're awesome human beings. And I would go to war for them. And I'm I'm pretty sure most of them will go to war for me. And uh this year was just one heck of a year for us. Um, I've had kidney stones. My wife, we had our fifth child. Um, my wife had preeclampsia at the beginning of the year. I sprained my ankle at the beginning of the year. Um, like I said, kidney stones, two kidney stone surgeries. Um I was out of the business, you know, not doing as much for probably two to three months out of the year where I was just doing, answering the phone with them. And, and in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> Correct. And we just, we, we had a slow start and I thought, well, here it goes. I mean, we had planned on, we wanted to do more this year. We actually did less than what we had planned, but again, we did a lot more. We almost doubled our business during a pandemic while I was out on kidney stones, while I have five kids, you know, just dealing with that in and of itself sometimes. <laughs> hey, man, I, um, hey, uh, I can relate. We're in a different club with the five kid club. Yes. So it just was, you know, dealing with employees, the way I deal with employees now is a lot different than I would have in the past. And I think that's the, you know, a huge thing for me is all employees are human. I'm human. And maybe you hired them for a reason. Why are you firing them right away? type idea too. And it's just like, if you can work through getting them to do, finding out how to get them to want to do something and not just forcing them to do something, I guess, is kind of my mindset of trying to train. And, and as I teach people and all that, as I work with people and work with my, um, work with my, uh, my daughter just came in the back room. So if you heard that <laughs> over the background, um, so yeah, that's just kind of the mindset sh- shift. And I think that's where it helped me get through this whole year and actually helped us thrive. Yeah. I, I mean, I've worked with a lot of people and there's, it is a big mindset shift. I feel like there's a lot of people are waiting for the bottom to fall out. So they kind of approach life where they're, they're so sure that things are going to go wrong that when a tiny issue happens, they kind of freak out about it. For example, you know, an employee doesn't show up for work one day and they go, I knew it, stupid yep. employee. And it's like, it's like a nuke is dropped in their plan. And so they yep. spiral and it almost is like this self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Right. Um, and it's hard to fight that. Right. Especially if you grew yes. up in a household of negativity, I don't know your family background or your parents or if there's other entrepreneurs, but for me, that. That was one of the hardest parts was just believing that it really could actually be good, that it actually could have a good team and they cared about each other and they did the right thing when no one's looking. Like, is that even a real thing? Because it felt fake to me early on. Were you kind of having those same types of thoughts? Most definitely. Most definitely. And then that was kind of, you know, when I did the flooring, you know, and I'll tell this as kind of a funny story, but when I started doing flooring in the big, tough construction world, um, the company that I first worked for, me and another guy, one of my friends actually started about the same time. Our, and I don't know, this isn't like a swear word, but we were nicknamed Bitch One and Bitch Two. Um, that was our names for almost a year. I don't think anybody even on the cruise actually knew our names, but that's how we were. Oh my that's gosh. how I was trained. You know, it was it was a running, joking type thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. you're the kid that runs around and I mean, at that time I was 20 something years old, young 20 year old, you know, and you just did it, you know. But it's like, I think back and I'm like, 
man, that wasn't a, a very good um, way to you know, train people, you know, and get really self-esteem going. But, yeah. you know, I was in the military as well. I went to, you know, basic training. So I knew about the, I had a pretty thick skin when you get yelled at by a drill sergeant and stuff like that. So it was, yeah. um, well, that's one way to build a culture, I guess, but exactly. I mean, we were, I mean, became good friends with the, a lot of the guys that I worked with, but you know, it's just like, but we never got to hire it took an exact certain type of person to fit that culture. Yeah. There wasn't, you're not going to bring another soft-spoken person into that culture and they're not going to thrive. They're actually going to probably quit well before you can even get the best out of them or even know them, you know? So I think that's where you have to have the ability to train people of different mindsets and different abilities and different personalities. And once you kind of start figuring that out, that's when you can really start growing, I believe. You're right, man. I mean, marketing, well, obviously I want to talk to you about some marketing, but really there's only two things to focus on to grow a big company and it's the people and the marketing. So if your phone's ringing and you have the right team, you can do almost anything for you and for everybody. When you start making some key hires, like for example, your office manager or an operation manager or a sales manager, whatever you want to call it, territory manager, there's, there's a, few key positions in a service company that are your executive team, basically. Yes. For yep. you, I mean, you have a rock star admin, right? Yep. Yes. And, you know, you couldn't have done what you've done without the team that you've built. No. Tell us kind of how that happened for you uh, and, and kind of what your plans are to lead, you know, your team of executives. It's a weird word, right? But yes. that's what it is. Tell us, tell us how you got your admin, kind of what you looked for. Tell us that story and kind of what what the next big pieces are for you. So the admin is actually a really funny story. Um, so she wasn't my first choice. So I had actually offered the job to somebody else and uh, they had said they were, they were actually pregnant, you know, um, they were going to have their baby in the winter months here. I was, I was applying, getting everybody apply at the end of the season so that I can start training them through our downtime in the winter months here. And uh, so I hired her and she was going to have the baby and then she was going to come in. But then after about a week, after I, offered the job to her. She called me up and she goes, after talking to my husband, we just don't like, you know, this, they were, they're worried about the, the new business, um, two years old business, you know, the, the seasonality of it sometimes and stuff like that. They're just worried about it. So she said she was going to turn down the job. So then I frantically am going, Oh my goodness, I got to get this hired here. But I had a couple of people that hadn't called back that I was going to interview. Well, Vicky ended up being one of them. And this was on a Thursday. And I was like, Oh, Vicky, um, I actually had um, was wondering if you wanted to meet uh, to go over a job interview, and she said yes. And she said she's available Friday afternoon. And I'm like, well, I'm I'm at the office, and I've got my two young daughters. At that time, they were three and or two and uh, two and something. So we were potty training Evie, and Evie's going to hear this story someday and probably cringe whenever she I can show this <laughs> to her and stuff like that. But so we were potty training. So I just had her in a sundress running around with no underwear on inside the office. I asked Vicky if it was all right that the kids were there. She has kids and grandkids and everything. So she said, perfectly fine. So I'm sitting there, we're sitting at the, the table and we're talking and I hear the kids running in the hallway in the back of us. And all of a sudden she goes, oh, Tim, I don't mean to interrupt you, but your, your daughter's going to the bathroom on the floor. And I'm your like, daughter's going to the bathroom on the floor. Yep. And I'm like, oh, she's having an accident. She's peeing on the floor. No, she's full out taking a dump on the floor. <laughs> Right in the hall. I mean, she is legs spread, you know, dress up, going to the bathroom. I turn and I'm like, oh no. So I do the ultimate mistake on something like that. I run to get her. 
which means she takes off running as well. <laughs> well, now there's just crap everywhere. Now there's like um, a train of turds. Right. So oh my gosh. I'm just like, oh, Vicky, excuse me for a second. I get, you know, get Evie into the bathroom, clean her all up first, you know, and everything, get her cleaned up. Then I run out into the shop. I grab a bucket, get a bucket of water, get some chemicals. So luckily we're a cleaning company. We have the stuff to clean it up. <laughs> and I, it was right outside the door. So I, I don't know, just kind of second nature, just kept on going with the interview while I was on the floor, scrubbing the carpet, cleaning up crap, um, going through the interview and said, okay, I'll be back, dump the water out, clean everything else up, come back. And then basically just said, you got any questions for me? Well, and that's, she just the kind key. Of, that's the key to a great admin is you got to have your kid poop on the floor during the interview and then exactly. respond with your applicant and create this deep yep. bond. What, well, did she, and what did she say? So she was kind of just like, oh, okay. She asked a couple of questions about what we do for the down season and stuff like that. And I said, well, there's certain times we will go on unemployment, um, but you'll still be coming in on those other times and we'll, we'll work. We got stuff worked out for that. And she's like, oh, okay. Like anything else? She goes, no, no, that's fine. Um, and I'm like, okay. So I let her go and I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, she was actually awesome with everything, her backstory and everything too. So I'm like, I decided I'm just going to call her and offer the job to her. So I called her about a half an hour after the interview. And I said, Vicki, the job's yours if you want it. I understand if you don't want to tell me right away, you know, just let me know. I'd like to know as soon as possible, but just, yeah, just let me know. So she's like, okay, well, I'm going to talk to my husband and think about it. About 20 minutes later, she calls me back, kind of the same thing. And she's like, I'll take the job. And part of the reason she said she was going to take the job is she's like, you weren't like, flabbergasted or just really crazy. Your daughter crapped on the floor in front of you and you just kept right on going. She goes, how could you not want to work for somebody like that? <laughs> That's true. You know, that just doesn't just blow things out of proportion and start getting all frantic and everything. And I do that on my own time. When after she left, I just probably sat in the corner and was like, I can't believe that just happened. What is yeah. the that? But, but yeah, so that was just kind of, I think the hiring process and going through things like that and not, you know, I mean, that's one, obviously, pretty cool story or pretty interesting story about hiring somebody. But I think just being yourself and letting everybody know your goal and finding people. Well, I mean, you are a good guy. You have a great personality. You're easy to get along with. And that matters, right? So like your demeanor, disposition, your personality type as an owner matters. And you can be successful if you're an introvert or an extrovert. You can be a little bit aggressive and still be successful. And there's different flavors, right? But I think we attract kind of certain types of people to our team based on us. Right. And there's yes. this concept called soft skills. Some people don't have good soft skills. They might understand a PL, they might understand a sales process, but maybe they don't understand empathy and voice inflection and compassion. And, right. and some of those owners struggle. So let me ask you this, Tim. You, you know, when you look at business owners that are smaller, like you were a few years ago, yep. and they're struggling and frustrated, and whether they're making excuses or not, what do you see as the big, big primary problems? that are holding them back? What, what is it? Is it their fear to really market hard enough? Is it they're too impatient with employees? Are they just too much of a victim mindset? What are you seeing as you look at the market? I think it's the the victim mindset. A lot of it has to do with that. And I think I, I struggle with that sometimes as well. You know, it's, uh, and like you said, the self-sabotaging type mindset, you know, that, well, this didn't work out. I told you it wouldn't work out. You've been doing it for two weeks. You know, or this employee didn't look at, he didn't show up for work. His kids are sick. You know, it's just like, it's that, like you had said, it's just, you know, it's, it's that victim malady, the, the self-sabotage, you know, always think you're going to be right instead of understanding. I think it's just a lot to do with understanding people. 
I mean, if you can really truly get it, get it through your head to understand people. I mean, if you think about, you know, a scenario happens and the old Tim says, ah, dang it. And you spiral versus the new Tim, you're feeling the spiral feelings, but you're taking a different action. What different thing are you doing? This, is it the accountability that you have? Is it, I think it's the accountability. I think it's the, you know, and I don't know how to try to try and explain it, but yeah, it's the accountability, letting people know that, yeah, you're going to screw up, but you're not going to lose your job. You know, you can do things and then learn from it. I just want everybody to learn here and I want them to be a better person once they leave here, even if they work here for three months or 30 years, you know, that they're better off after they leave here. And if that's anything that I can possibly do, you know, again, I hired them for a reason. It's my fault not their fault if they don't add up to to what they're supposed to do. I let them get to the point where I either had to fire them or I had to let them go or they quit. That's pretty much me. And it's and once I hold myself accountable on how I treat them, maybe that's why they're acting the way they're acting or doing what they're doing. Um, I think that's when I really started to notice a growth in things and, and the way the people act around here. And even from my previous businesses, it's like, yeah, once I realize that, I think everything, the sky's the limit then for that. Because if I treat them like that, when they start to get to be managers and they're going to treat the people like that as well, because they want to be treated the same way. It's actually really, really profound what you're talking about. It It's it's hard to put your finger on it. And we can talk on podcasts about systems and do this tactic and do this and do your Facebook ad like that. We can, There's lots of things we can say that are tactical, but really what you're talking about is a type of nuance that's hard to quantify Right. But you're essentially being a servant leader. You know, you're you're holding yourself responsible for all outcomes. Um, you're putting your team ahead of yourself, right? And these types of things, man, they they change everything. And it has for you. I mean, you, th- you, it's crazy what you've done. And on the one hand, you have an extraordinary story. And for a lot of people in Conquer, you're in the Conquer program, but mm-hmm. this is becoming more common for people in Conquer. I think because of the community and the accountability and stuff. But, but. Leadership is is the whole game, and it starts with leading yourself. I, I don't know. Maybe this is a good segue into marketing because you mentioned how people will basically give up too quick. They don't have enough right. stamina. So an employee yes. does something frustrating, and they just want to hit the eject button instantly yes. instead of trying to work through anything. Or a marketing strategy doesn't work, and they get frustrated because they're waiting for the sky to fall, and so they, they bail, right? They do two weeks of flyers, and, oh, it didn't work, right? And you've been able to push through that and you've gotten a big result. And, you know, it's ironic that you originally started this journey because you scared yourself by hurting your hand. And then you've actually built a company in just two seasons where, you know, 200,000 up to 500, up to 850 plus thousand. And you could take a few months off with medical issues and the business was still growing and profitable. So it's like, (laughs) it totally served your original purpose, right? This last year for you. Yes. But talk to me about stamina, marketing stamina, not giving up, um, all of those types of things. Because when you say you do door hangers, I don't think people understand. You're not going out and passing out 300 door hangers. No, no, we thousands of them, and right. that's a huge result. Yeah, our goal this year is to be close to 100,000 door hangers. Is what we're going to hand out. And, and actually, you know, being a family-run business and having older kids, my son is actually right now at this moment one of them. It's filling, we hand fill out pricing into our door hangers. So we pre-make all the different door hangers with different numbers and everything in there. It's off the plan on, Josh, you did postcards, I believe it was. Yep. The pre, and uh, so it's off the plan on that, except for they're just door hangers. And then we take scooters 
Um, we've got the electric scooters and we go around and we hand out door hangers. We can go from, instead of doing about 50 to 60 walking an hour, we can do 120 to 150 an hour handing them out. So we can easily get out, you know, send two guys out, which happen to be my sons now at this time and myself, I go do it because it's kind of cool riding around on the little electric scooters. Um, but yeah, we can do 2000 pretty easily in a day by just running around on the scooters, you park in your area that you're going to go, your subdivision that you're going to go, and you just start handing out door hangers. And it's just, you go zoom up to the door, jump off the scooter and put the door hanger on there and zoom to the next one. So it's kind of uh once we started building that walking was fun or good for your healthy, but uh, it takes a lot of time. And I think people don't want to put in that time to find out now door hangers sometimes don't work everywhere, but we found out that we can get a good ROI. So our door hangers are right around, so we hand them out. We're getting about for each door hanger. We're we're saying it's worth about four dollars a door hanger. Three ninety something is what it actually is. So um, we're just looking to just hand out as many. So if we do a hundred thousand door hangers, we're pretty much baking on four hundred thousand dollars off of those door hangers. So um, well, that speaks to another reason that you're succeeding, which is you have a deeper understanding of your numbers than you probably did two years ago. Yes. And- which is an important factor, but let's, let's talk about that. I'm sure people have questions. So door hangers, you put out a hundred, your people try to measure ROI. They do it wrong. They measure response rate. They do it wrong. Break yeah. down kind of how you view it all and all of your numbers on, on, on that. Well, level. So even if, so we get, let's say we hand out a hundred door hangers and we may only get four phone calls, you know, so we get four phone calls and we close even on 25% of them in one job, but our average ticket off the of door hangers is over, 400 and some odd dollars. Um, and it all depends. It's been going up and up and up every year. This year, we, this last year, we didn't do as many door hangers, but uh, so it was going up. But so it's basically, it's an exact science after you do a certain amount. You can just 100 equals one job and that's a $400 job. Boom, you're good. You know, yeah. And that's just pretty, it's as simple as that. Well, that's you know, a it's 1% a, booking rate off hangers, which yes. is higher than normal. But let's talk right. about why that is. So, you know, one of my philosophies is you want to personalize your marketing as much as you can, even right. though it's more annoying, you can get way bigger results. So you're writing handwritten prices on right. the door hangers. Yes. And so we have, them out. we have three, um, our main services are window cleaning, house washing, and roof cleaning. Um, so we have those three services on there. So we hand write, they're pre, we have four different sizes. We have a, what I call small, medium, large, and extra large sizes on the door hangers. And then they just have an X amount of dollar amount on that. That dollar mark amount is great. That is actually happens if somebody just wants their exterior windows cleaning and it says $199 on there for probably 99% of the time, we're still going to be able to do it for $199. But our goal is to get the phone call, get them to be our customer. And most of the time with having an awesome office admin, Vicki upsells like no other, when she's on the phone with them, they call for windows. Next thing you know, they're doing house washing, window cleaning, gutter cleaning, concrete cleaning, you know, our legendary package. So it was a, a one phone call for $199. It's now a $2,000 job. Right. And I think that's where, you know, I think people concentrate on the front end ROI as opposed to the back end where you might get all these different jobs after the fact. And now they're free jobs as opposed to paid jobs. Paid yes. Jobs. Well said. Yeah. Amateurs focus on the front end and pros focus on the back end. I love that. It's so good. You, uh, what's your average ticket at this point? Our average ticket, this, um, well, 
you not you didn't yell at me, but you talked to me about. We have a couple of big commercial jobs that I didn't divvy out, but we're at right around nine hundred dollars a job. Okay, and that's that's really great. And I know how hard it is if you're listening to this and you're struggling and your average check is two hundred bucks, and you're like, wait, what the heck? Um, I I totally get it, but you know things get so much easier when you when you start selling at higher prices for higher package amounts. You get better at your sales process when you're doing eight nine hundred thousand dollar average tickets. You can build a multi million dollar business way 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 faster. Um, and that's been your focus. I mean, you might not know this, but what was your average ticket two years ago when you were doing less than two hundred grand? Oh, probably three hundred bucks. Right. Right. And so a lot of things have changed. You know, we talked about the mindset stuff, building a team, your funny interview story, but you got a rock star admin, which is huge because then you can focus on other things. You have an ops manager going in this year. You have all, all kinds of stuff happening. Um, but the sales process itself obviously has been improved for you. Is there anything yes. that stands out that you've done different to drive those higher tickets? Is it the literature? Did you redesign it? Did you, did you just build confidence by seeing other people doing it? What, what, what was it that helped you demand higher tickets? So a little bit of everything. I think the confidence of it and uh, the packages. So we use Responsibid. Um, that is one thing. And then for all of our in-person estimates, and when it was just me doing it, I did it probably 75% of the time. We do a little video. I walk around the house, I take pictures of the house, and then I come back to the computer and I make a little video and talk to the customer about the house, what I see. Um, it, it's off the plan of like what Brandon says, a professional recommender. You know, I tell them what I see. This is what I would recommend. And really, if you can recommend something to somebody and not tell them what they need to do, that will in and of itself um, make them want to buy it more. At least what I've noticed in my set. You know, you say, hey, you don't have to do this. I know you just want your windows cleaning, but I would think in the next year, maybe next year, we do your house washing. But this package here will be save you money in the long run. If you do this now, now I'm not telling you have to do it, but I just think in the next couple of years, you should be able to do that. Most of the people are going to end up going, no, let's just do it now. Let's get our windows clean and then our house washing. You might as well do the gutter cleaning because I don't think we've done those for five years. You know, so just the, the upselling, the the literature and the, the wording of everything and being not being forceful, being friendly and let they, letting them make the decision. And again, back to finding employees that you want them to, you want to find out how to get them to want to do something, it's the same thing with your um, customers. You try and get them to want you to do something for them. Yeah. So if you, if it, yeah, that, oh gosh, you're making me excited. Um, I think half the battle for most small businesses is just offering bigger packages. Like a lot of people, they'll get a call for a window cleaning quote or maid service or fences, whatever you do, it's all the same thing, but they get a call and they'll quote what was requested rather than quoting everything they do and bundling it into packages, yes, that, that, that single change by itself will double your average ticket. Well, yeah, easily. Offering easily. Packages. But people are scared to even offer. But there's a percentage of the population that part of their identity is they just love to buy the most expensive package every time, even if right. they don't need it. You know, yes. You'll see someone, their house really isn't dirty. And so you won't right. quote the $800 house wash because you, you say that they don't want it. Well, right. some people want it anyway. And yes. you got to offer it or you can never get it, right? And the funny thing is, and I always say that, you know, our best customer are the houses that aren't the dirtiest. You know, you always seem to think everybody goes after all these houses that, well, I can't give them a house. Like you said, a house washing quote, because their house isn't even that dirty. Guess what? It's not dirty for a reason. I mean, I live in an area where it can get pretty dirty in a year or two. You're going to start seeing mold and mildew and stuff. It's, it's 
humidity around here, I guess, you know, even for being in the North, but yeah, it's, it, it's just like, you want the people that are recurring work. That's, and that's, uh, that's where, you know, we get into the higher and a lot of the, oh, the medium to higher end houses, you know, they want their houses washed every year. Okay. It's not that dirty. Well, it still needs to be cleaned every year. You know, well, and, and it's the, part of their identity, right? They're the kind right. of people that keep all their things clean, right? Yes. You know, another yeah. miscon that is so genius, Tim. Thank you for sharing that. It's such a cool way to look at. It. I've never even thought of that. And another misconception among marketers is that broke people can't buy stuff, right? Um, but re in reality, a lot of broke people are the best buyers because they spend all their money on stuff that they don't right. need. <laughs> <laughs> like like the infomercials and stuff right. like the people buying that they're broke they're buying crap on credit cards that they don't need right so there's yes. some sometimes marketing is counterintuitive like the dirtiest house like you said uh might not be your customer because they don't right. care right. they don't maintain their stuff right or someone yep. that has a clean car right. do they want to get their car detailed they, they yes. probably yes. do because they're obsessed with a clean car right exactly yes so, so cool. Well, as we kind of wrap up and land the plane here, speak to the person that's listening to this, that's, they want to walk down the path that Tim Sullivan walked down. They're owner operator. They want to go big. They don't want to go in the middle, but they're terrified to do it. Maybe they're scared to invest in coaching or accountability, or maybe they're just scared <laughs> to market hard enough. Maybe they're, who knows what's going on, but what words of encouragement or advice, like, coach that person right now. Just tell them, bring the fire, tell them some words of encouragement to them. So in my mind, it's easier than what you think it is. Um, and that's one thing I don't want to say a shameless plug for Conquer, but Conquer helped. And even it started out listening to your podcast, then joining the AGS or the Automate Growth Solve Facebook group or the Growth Vault Facebook group, you know, and then you start listening to other people and going, oh, that's so hard. I can't do that. But sometimes it takes just a leap of faith on doing something and uh, just um, moving forward and having confidence in yourself that even if you fail, you're still going to win because you're farther ahead than what you were before. Um, I just, I wouldn't have, I, well, I, maybe I would have, maybe I wouldn't have without coaching and without anything else. It would have taken me a lot longer, that's for sure. Um, if you're... Again, if you're running towards something and not from something, that also makes a big difference. And I think in my mind, that's what helped me grow the most either. Instead of saying, I don't want to be this, I want to be this, and I want to be this for my family and my children and all that, is what made me really kind of make the leaps and bounds of, of being able to do the things that I think I've been able to do. Wow. And there's man. a lot more to be done. That That's deep. We almost need to like, <laughs> now I just want to keep talking about running towards something instead of away from something. Cause there's a whole conversation to have there, but I think you're just getting started, Tim. I'm not patronizing you. I, I know you're going to build a really, really big company and have a lot of fun. And I'm excited to, to just eat popcorn and cheer you on as you do it basically. Um, but no, thank you for taking the time to come on here and uh, super appreciate it, my friend. And hopefully during your subsequent interviews, no one poops on the floor anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I just appreciate you. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. If you're ready to go even deeper, go to Facebook and search for The Growth Vault. It's a free community with thousands of other business owners just like you. I'll see you next time on The Growth Vault.